All right. Well, we're going to be finishing the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 21 is where we'll be. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, uh, John 21, we're going to be reading verses 15 or studying verses 15 through 25. This is, uh, as we talked about last week, this is uh, John's epilogue. This is his conclusion. This is him just kind of wrapping things up um, in his gospel that he's walked us through, that we've had the privilege to walk through the last couple years. And uh, just uh, some closing thoughts, some closing things. Last week we talked about, or we saw how uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, John wrote how Jesus revealed himself to the disciples one more time. And it's in the same way that he first called his disciples, and that was when they were fishing, not catching anything. He called out to them to throw their nets on the right side, and they brought in tons of fish, demonstrating what Jesus had taught about without him, without abiding in him, right? It's impossible to be fruitful. And uh, such a great uh, lesson there for, for us as well, and just relying on, on the God the Spirit to do a work uh, in us and for us and for his glory uh, as we attempt to reach a world that desperately needs Jesus. And then we have uh, these next uh, few verses here that just gives us a little more um, closing thoughts. John just kind of tying things up. We see the restoration of Peter here, or the, the interaction, the reconciliation that has happened between Jesus and Peter at this point. And uh, him correcting a false rumor about himself, and, and then ultimately just concluding how good Jesus is. I love that, how good Jesus is. So let's go ahead and read the passages of Scripture, and then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us. So beginning in verse 15, the word of the Lord says this, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus' response, feed my sheep. Verse 18 goes on, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and said, saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple 
who testifies to these things. He's wrapping it up. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which of, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. So thankful that we can boldly come before you, not standing in our own righteousness, not because of the religion that we wear or are proclaimed to, to have, Lord, but because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. He is our great high priest who stands at your right hand forever making intercession for us. And so we come to you in his name. We come to you in his righteousness. What a gift, God. And we come this morning, Lord, and we ask, Father, that you would work in our midst, that your spirit, God, would, would just work in every one of us here, Lord. That this might be an opportunity, God, to, to draw close to you, to be reminded of your love, to, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that that love that he's demonstrated would be our motivation, Father. We, we can't do it in our, of, our, of ourselves, Lord. We know it's the Spirit of God who, who can empower us this, for this life that you've called us to. And so we just ask that that would be made manifest in our lives today, that you would illuminate us to those truths, and that you would strengthen us and embolden us to be able to walk in the truth that you've called us to. God, we just ask that all that is said be pleasing and honoring to you. Would you guard my lips, Father, that only truth would come for your honor's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have this uh, the passage of Scripture. I can't believe we're actually going to finish the Gospel of John. Amazing. So we're probably going to, well, I know we're going to do the book of Galatians starting next week. And so that's a good uh, book for us to, I think, build off of what John has taught us in our, in our journey with him. And how it's so easy for us as humans to just kind of rely and even start drifting back towards performance-based, works-based uh, walk with Jesus. So we can easily become ensnared of, well, we have to do these things. And we see here, this is the perfect example of it, this reconciliation with Peter. We, uh, more than likely, the reconciliation between Jesus and Peter. After Jesus denied, or Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus appeared to Peter before this, this last and third time. And so the reconciliation probably happened, but, but John's allowing us into the story here, and he's seeing what this reconciliation looks like. And, and it's this beautiful picture, at least to me, that, wow, it truly is, does not, this relationship, this reconciliation that Jesus has purchased is not based on our performance. It's not based on our, how good we, we follow the rules of being a Christian. It's truly based on Jesus giving us unmerited love, unearned. Jesus takes this time, this opportunity. John records it in an inspiration of the Spirit to show us that Peter screws up. He denied the Lord three times, just as the Lord predicted. But that's encouraging to me, because I screw up. And I know that if my relationship with Jesus was based on how well I feel like I'm doing, it would just 
be like on a treadmill that ever forever gets steeper and steeper and faster and faster of trying to labor to enter into the rest that Jesus has purchased for me. And I hope that is for you that we see that it's truly the hardest time to, by faith, believe the promises of Jesus is when we stumble or when we fall down. And this story that Jesus or that John gives to us about Peter shows that that we can stumble. But if we're in Christ, if we believed and received him, God's not through with us. God's going to use those opportunities of stump to be able to grow closer to him, to draw near to him, to become mature through the circumstance of the trial, the stumbling that we've occurred. And we see that here. So we see the title of our, my slide here is Love is, Should Be Our Motivation. We see Jesus coming to Peter and saying, this is your motivation, right? Three different times, just as he, more than likely, this is because he denied Jesus three times. He's reiterating the point. Verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And more than these, commentators, um, the Bible was not clear as exactly what he was referencing. Most, most would either agree that it's the, big, the amount of fish that were caught, and the, it's kind of like pointing to the worldly things, because Peter was a fisherman before that, or maybe it was his disciples. Do you love me more than these disciples love me? Um, it's not exactly sure, but it could be probably one of those two different um, things that Jesus is referring to Simon. But the point is, what's captured for us is that um, Jesus is driving home a point about what our affections and what our love is set on. He says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And his response to him was, feed my lambs. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And so Jesus' response to him was, shepherd my sheep. And then the third time, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And here we are yet again, John sliding in this attribute, this non-communicable attribute that only God has, that only God knows all things. And he's ascribing this to the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you know everything. Peter's like, look, I know you know everything. You know that I love you. And his response, feed my sheep. And so we see this picture of really the Christian walk when Jesus calls us into new life and to follow after him and gives us the new heart. He's calling us to a life that that begins a journey to glorify God in our lives and not uh, acquiesce to the things and the desires that we may want personally, but it's about living for Jesus. And And ultimately, Jesus is pointing Peter to this. Look, if you love me, if that is your motivation, if you truly love me, then this is what I expect from you. The motivation is Peter's love for Jesus. And Jesus is asking Peter specifically to what? Feed his people. To feed the lambs, to feed the young. Maybe that's the children that are downstairs in Sunday school or... Um, new believers, right? The, the gospel, the Great Commission is, is a call to, to go out and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to disciple them. 
And there's been a tendency in the West to, to have a big emphasis on calling people and asking them to believe in the Lord Jesus and, and then gathering the numbers as if that's a, a successful mark of a, of a church, but then letting those disciples just wither on the vine and not taking the time to disciple them. And that's what Jesus is referring to, I believe, in the, in the feed my lambs, feed the young in Christ. Make sure you disciple my church, my people. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep was the second one, right? The shepherd um, motif is all throughout Scripture. And we see that, and we're going to kind of cover that as we go. But the first thing I want to focus on, at least for us, something that we can take away from this interaction between Peter and Jesus is that love should be our motivation. That if we're doing, if we're serving God out of just a, a, a sense of obligation or a sense of duty or a sense of, well, that's what people expect of me, so therefore I'm going to do it. It's the wrong motivation. Our motivation should be our love for Jesus. And we see this, this that uh, idea built everywhere, right? The people came... Um, uh, remember in John 13, he's up in the upper room, and he says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. This is the new command, right? Where Everything should be done with the basis, as Jim mentioned in his scripture again this morning, everything should be done based on this love, this sacrificial love that's painted to us, how Jesus demonstrated his love by sacrificing himself for us. We, too, should sacrifice ourselves for others. That's the idea. We go on, verse 35. But this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if we truly want to be an example, a light in this world, these are the things that the Scriptures call us to, is to love one another, to be put others' needs before ourselves. And this love is, again, our motivation. It should compel us to live for Christ, to live for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church and says this, For the love of Christ compels us. The love that we have for Christ compels us to live for him as we meditate on what God has truly done, what he's truly saved us from, and what Jesus has, how Jesus has demonstrated his love to us. That is the love that should compel us to live for him. And he goes on to say this is why the love of Christ should compel us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all. Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. That second death, that spiritual separation, everyone's born into that. And he died for all so that those who live, those who receive and believe Jesus will be made born again, will live eternal, have eternal uh, life that is found in the presence of God for all of eternity. And he died for all those who live so, so that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And so this love of Christ is what should compel us to be our motivation. And so I often counsel people that are um, burnt out or feel overworked. You know what? You need to take some time and just instead of work, 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 just be with the Lord. Call out to Him. Renew your relationship with Him. Take the time to 
take what we need to do to, to make sure that our focus individually stays on Christ and that it is our love for him that compels us to do these things. John would write in his first epistle, right? We love Christ because, or we love God because God first loved us. We love God because we've seen God's love demonstrated in Jesus. In the book of Revelation, John again has this vision from the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus tells John to write these things down for the churches. In chapter 2, in the, in the church of Ephesus, this is what Jesus told John to write. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. So he's saying, look, I see you, Ephesus. I see that you're working. You're, you're doing all these things that everyone says you should be doing. I see them. And you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And so they're having discernment, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But then he says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. It's important that we have the right motivation to live for Jesus, to follow after Jesus. You're doing all these wonderful things, but you've abandoned that first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. He's telling the church to go back. Turn back to what truly started you off in this journey. Go back to the first love, the love of Christ that should compel us. And then the warning to the church is, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand. We can't be a light, a spiritual light in this world unless we're operating under the guise or the things that God has laid out for us. I remove your last hand from its place unless you repent. And so, uh, so love, again, should be our motivation. If we don't take anything away from this sermon today, that should be our motivation for us. And, and take the time, please, step away from serving if you need to, to, to regenerate your serve, to, to rest and to, to focus on the Lord. These are all things that I would encourage you to do. In a small church, we have to wear many hats, and that can be laborsome sometimes. But if we don't have our focus on Christ and the love that we have for him as our motivation, those are the times we need to step back and say, wait, I need to realign myself to what God desires. I need to focus on my first love, the love I have for Christ. And then there's this motif that um, is being laid out here that Jesus references again. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, right? Shepherd my sheep. And this is the shepherd motif all throughout Scripture. And we remember that the book of Revelation or the gospel, the gospel of John was written um, the later, uh, later than the other three synoptic gospels. And John really wrote it in a time when, when the Jewish leaders were, began to start instituting laws um, to those who followed the Nazarene, those who claimed Jesus to be the Messiah, they weren't allowed to go into the synagogues anymore, and these things began to happen, and so people began to question whether or not following Jesus was, was the right thing to do. And so John 
uses this opportunity to, to demonstrate and lay out why people should believe and receive Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh. And he makes that beautiful argument in, the, in his gospel. But these are the people that he's writing to. And so more than likely, um, as they're reading how Jesus is calling Peter to feed a sheep, they're, they're referencing back to the Old Testament motif as well. And we find here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel how God sent Ezekiel to the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, and just basically said, look, you are feeding yourselves and not my sheep. And I'm going to lay out judgment against you. Ezekiel 34, verses 8 through 10 says this, As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God, because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Here it comes, right? He's like, oh, I'm mad. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and so they will not be food for them. And so we see this shepherd motif being played out in Ezekiel, where God's saying, look, I've sent shepherds. These shepherds have filling their own bellies and not feeding my flock. And he ultimately says, I'm going to rescue my sheep from you. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And in John 10, he declares himself to be, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. And so, no doubt, the readers of John's time would read that and say, wow. Jesus is calling Peter to shepherd, to be the shepherd that the shepherds over Israel failed to be. And here in the New Testament context of the New Testament church, right, God has called, uh, another term for pastor is, is a, a bishop or a shepherd. And truly it's an under-shepherd. And so I'm called to feed God's people, to give them spiritual nourishment. It shouldn't be about me. It should be about pointing you to Jesus and that's the call that um, some in, in the church have been called to, is to, to be the under-shepherd of the good shepherd. He is your ultimate shepherd, but um, it's truly a responsibility for people that uh, are proclaimed to be pastors or shepherds or under-shepherds or bishops um, to be in it for the right motivations. Again, right, the, their love for Jesus first and foremost. And taking on that responsibility. And so I say that because there's so many different people who claim to be a Christian church or are out there doing everything they can to get into people's pockets. To proclaim health, wealth, and prosperity in the name of Jesus. And it sickens me. And it's the same context that Ezekiel's speaking to. And so we should all have discernment as to what the motivation of an under-shepherd is. And be able to call them out when we see them um, being deliberately um, working against what they've been called to be. So going back to here, our text here in John 21, verses 18 through 22. 
we see this beautiful picture of Jesus and Peter having a reconciled relationship, all is well, and Jesus calling him to serve his sheep, to minister to his sheep, to shepherd them, to feed them. And we see that the love for our, for our Savior is the motivation. And then ultimately, what Jesus is calling every believer to, not just Peter and John, but as a life from the moment you receive Jesus, is a life that you begin to abandon your own desires and your own things, and you begin to live your life for Jesus, to follow after him. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And so he's saying, look, when you were young, you get to go wherever you want, but there's coming the time when someone's going to tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And we know church tradition says that Peter was crucified just as a savior some would say upside down and so we see here in verse 19 that john is telling us this because this is the way jesus was telling peter how he was going to die to glorify god he said this to indicate by what kind of death peter would glorify god with follow me to death right the disciples didn't follow Jesus because they thought it was a get-rich-quick scheme. They could, right? They followed Jesus because of their love for him and the promises he's given them. And so after this, he told them, follow me. Follow me. And that's another motif that's in Scripture, right? Are you back in Deuteronomy chapter 6? God tells his people, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you, is a jealous God. He goes on in Deuteronomy 13, you must follow the Lord your God and fear him. That's just what we are created for, is to follow our God. You must keep his commands and listen to him. You must worship him and remain faithful to him. And so this idea of following our God is again repeated in the New Testament context of Jesus that all who proclaim his name are to follow him and seek him. Verse 20. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus, love following them. This is John. This is how he always refers him to himself, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. He saw, Peter saw him, saw John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Back in John 13, the upper room, just before Judas was to betray Jesus, right? It was John that leaned back and asked Jesus that question. So John's just telling, explaining who this person that Peter's looking at is. That's John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And this is Jesus' response in verse 22. And if, if I want to remain until I come, if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. And what another great lesson that we have here. How it's so easy for us to compare ourselves with other people. Say, well, I'm doing more than this person, so I might be doing a pretty good job here. And, you know, what about this person? I can't believe this person's doing that. We have a tendency to be that, at least I do, to be that type of person. And so Jesus is saying, look, this, this, this request to follow me requires a, an intense focus, to focus after, after Jesus alone. 
and not be worried about other people. We can only control our own actions. And so we can spend time and energy judging and comparing one another, as Paul warned against in his letters to, to the Corinthian church. But Jesus is saying, Peter, don't worry about John. As for you, follow me. And I think that we can take that teaching and apply it to our own selves this morning. What about you? As for you, you need to follow Jesus. Jesus, uh, Luke records Jesus uh, uh, kind of expounding upon this command to follow him. And Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so this is the tricky part of Christianity, right? The, the call is to follow Jesus. The call isn't just to receive Jesus as your Savior and then go on living however you want. The call is to follow after Jesus, to deny your own self and to take up your cross daily. We know Jesus had to carry his cross to Golgotha, right? From the place of judgment. He couldn't quite make it because he had been whipped so bad. And so some guy named Simon helped him out. But it was the common tradition for people in that time that if they were executed to judgment or to death, uh, that they would have to carry at least the, the cross beam of the, of the cross that they were going to go to that place of execution. And they would have to carry it to that place from that place of judgment as a token of humiliation and scorn and, and all those things. But what's interesting about that journey for any convicted felon, felon or person that was going to be crucified was that we all know it was a, then they knew it was a one-way journey, right? They were going to a place to die. They weren't coming back. Their journey was a place to die. And so I believe that's what John is, uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is, is painting to us what it looks like for us to follow after Jesus. It's a one-way journey. We're, we're pursuing Jesus. We're not going to turn back to our former ways and our former life and, and keep some of the stuff we really like. And still, it's about following after Jesus, to take up our cross daily. I don't believe this means that we need to deny ourselves of all pleasures and all those things. I don't believe that's what Jesus wants from us. But it's just, a, I believe, a thought of, look, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Wherever the Lord takes me, I'm going to give it to him. I desire, our hearts should be, our desires should be to live our lives for the glory of God. Of God. Take up your cross daily, right? It doesn't just happen once. Every day, it's a challenge for us to put to death the desires that we have and seek after Jesus, to follow after Him, to glorify Him. And then, getting back to our text in John 21, verses 23 through 25, this is the end, folks. The last two verses of, of John. And I've entitled it so that you may believe, right? So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple would not die. So when Jesus tells Peter, look, if I want him to be around when I come back, what is that to you? And so a rumor began to be spread that John wasn't going to die until Jesus' second return. And so John's taking this opportunity to 
in his conclusion to just uh, satisfy and, and, and hush the rumor that he was going to, to uh, live until Jesus returned because, he, as he says, yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus had the power to do it. It didn't mean Jesus said he was going to do it is ultimately what he's saying. What is that to you? And then in verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies to these things. So he's testifying about himself. He's saying, I wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. Again, demonstrating to his readers of his uh, desire to communicate the truth of who Jesus is and why we should receive and believe him as the Messiah, the Son of God. And he goes on in verse 25 to conclude this way. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. So John's employing the use of hyperbole here. He's saying he's, Jesus did so many other things. This is just a small fraction of what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And so if you're like me, you're kind of like, oh, I wonder what else he did, you know? What else are we going to find out? And that's the good news. I'm going to have all of eternity <laughs> to be with Jesus and to learn and see and witness how good he truly is. All because of what he's done for us. So the command, I think, the takeaway for me and I hope for you this morning is don't worry about other people. As for you, you follow Jesus. He would also say, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus is the means in which we can have a truly satisfied life, a life of contentment, because we're not pursuing and chasing the things of this world, but we're pursuing what we were originally designed for, and that's live for the glory of God. And in that, we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We have this Spirit that He promises to give us as we uh, attempt to walk and follow after Him. So this command to follow Jesus is not some arbitrary thing where we're like, oh, we just got to do it. No, in that you will find life and find it abundantly, Jesus said. And that is my prayer for us this morning. God, we just come before your throne and just want to say thank you for your goodness and thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to walk through the Gospel of John. We thank you for preserving it for us, that we 